0: Welcome back to Open the VoiceGate Speedstar, celebrating the career of the cornerstone of the Dragon System, Masato Yoshino. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed, where you can find us our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open VoiceGate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our RedCircle.com landing site, and there you can click the red box to sponsor this podcast. Do a one-time recurring donation, no obligation whatsoever. I'm one of your hosts, it's Real Palo, I'm my experience joined as always by Kate Slow and our special guest today, the official voice of Dragon Gate Pro Wrestling on the English feed, it is Jay. Jay, thank you so much for coming.
2: Yeah, for now, anyway. No, thank you for having me. Um, it's, it's my pleasure. It's been a while, so looking forward to it.
0: I think the last time we talked was right when Dragon Gate was going behind closed doors last, I want to say May, was it? So it's it's been a little bit.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's that sounds about right. Yeah, because we had no idea what was uh, what was gonna what gonna happen between then and the rest of the year, and uh, that ended up being right before K- uh, the empty arena KOG got on- got announced. I think.
0: Yeah, and, yeah, and then it was. Oh, go ahead, Case
2: Jay. You've been doing. Uh
1: commentary full-time for like a year now and i was just wondering off the bat we got a million things we want to talk about with you but how are how comfortable do you feel now as the official voice of drangate because at least on our end uh we're 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 big fans of the combination of you and ho-ho uh behind the table
2: i'm i'm glad i mean the the whole thing kind of happened as as an accident really like i wasn't planning on doing any commentary um coming out of the you know, coming out of the empty arena period and essentially like I hadn't talked to anybody in the company during those, you know, those four months from April until July or whatever it was, because usually most of my contact with the company is like uh, if someone's ordering tickets or if I've got you know, questions about a show or if I'm going to a show, you know, just giving them a heads up that I'm coming. And, uh, so with Corican coming back, I wasn't planning on even going to the Corican show because of, you know, the pandemic and the the limited seating, you know, I didn't want to take a ticket away from anybody. And I was just like, uh, so what do you guys want to do about English commentary? And Mr. Keto, uh, president Keto, was like, well, it would be hard to do it by, or by yourself. And I was like, yes, but not impossible. Not really expecting them to go forward with it. And he came back immediately like, oh, really? Okay. Please come to Corican. And. um so i did the first show by myself uh the plan was at that point um we didn't do it live we recorded it with the plan being if it was a disaster we would just burn the tape and never speak of it again but i guess it was usable enough and then they gave me ho-ho um you know it's just kind of someone to someone to talk to and it's as far as the comfort level the comfort level is fine Um. You know the the difficult thing right now is um, I don't get feedback like at all. Um, No one, you know, no one on the company side speaks English, so no one really watches it back. The producers don't really speak English. I mean, one of them one of them does, but um, so it's hard to know when I'm, you know, what I'm doing well, what you know, where I need to improve. So that that's been kind of a kind of a battle um you know as long as ho-ho around it's fun because he uh you know is genuinely likable and has so much fun when he's up there that it's uh it's it's nice to have him but uh you know i just kind of have to do my best the uh how can i say this like the bar has been raised considerably for english commentary over the last really since coming out of the pandemic like i don't know how much how much you guys watch of, like, the Cyberfight groups or Stardom, but um, yeah. they've picked up... You know, Stuart and Mark got picked up um, for Cyberfight first, and now I think Stuart is on Noah. Mark is also doing DDT. And so essentially, everybody has English commentary now, which means it's... Like, you have no choice. You have to be good. Because if, if you're not good, it's now not a novelty it's it's something that's required so not being good makes you know really detracts from your products so from that perspective i feel like i've i've had to try and step up i mean world is uh like i'm really going into world with a chip on my shoulder kind of because i i've felt like all of our broadcasts since maybe wakayama haven't been all that good So, you know, we need to do we need to do well at World to kind of get get the buzz back that we lost at the end of last year.
1: Let me ask you this, just because you you brought up Cyberfight for a second. Have you watched any of Ata in Noah? I know last time you were on, we talked about Mochizuki and sort of how Japanese audiences have reacted to him in Noah. What's the buzz like with Ata and Noah if there is any? And have you watched any of that?
2: I watched the I watched the Battle Royal that he was in. Um didn't really think much of anything. I was surprised that he lost. That was really <laughs> the, the only thing. Um, no, I mean, it's it's gotten them some t-shirt sales. That t-shirt wasn't, you know, the, the t-shirt is selling to Ata fans. You know, if, if it's one thing about Eita, is he's a merchandise seller. There's a, uh, he does some collaborations with, there's a little store uh, in Shibuya called Haoming. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it's it's the, the yeah. store that does like the, the lucha mask style yeah I, so i went there uh i was i usually go and chat with the uh i don't know if he's an owner or if he's just one of the partners but i usually go and chat with him when i'm in shibuya so i went there before Kor- Korakuen, at the beginning of the month and he was like are you gonna see aita today i'm like yeah i'm going to Korakuen." he's like okay please give him this t-shirt so it's like they had like some new t-shirt that i guess wasn't selling uh, <laughs> so i went i gave it to aita took a picture put it on instagram and uh dude messages me two days later says, Thanks for giving him the shirt. We find thanks to him, we were able to sell out.
0: <laughs> I mean, I got the ETA Haoming ETA Nomola Star t shirt. Like, it's it, his partnership there. I, it seems like it goes pretty well there. And then with him, with Piros del Mal de Japon, I know that they have like Nosawa when he was in Mexico was very, was very instrumental in helping out people there. But it just seems like with. Ata I, I see this and my reaction is okay he gets to kind of go play what he was liking to do in Mexico when other stuff's going on right now at least that's like my surface level observation of it
2: yeah I mean he wants to be Perito I mean <laughs> that's like his wrestling hero yeah so, so being able to do this is yeah and it gets him it gives him something to do I mean he's He'd be—he's treading water in Dragon Gate right now, in the sense that there's not that much for him to do. And I think that uh, having him go out and do this actually sets up future things really well, because if you want to turn him babyface, you can have you know the other members of Red say like, "Dude, you're not even around. You're off playing around in Noah. You know, we don't—we don't need you." or conversely if you want to bring him back and reestablish him as rev leader you know you can have the other members start mess you know messing up and losing and you can say look i leave you guys to go you know to go do this thing in noah and i come back and you know this group is in shambles and you know then he takes control back of the group so i think it works well for that
1: Obviously H is a a pretty big star, but are there any surprising merch movers that maybe the the American audience wouldn't realize like oh, when those guys are at the merch table they are hawking their goods? Um
2: not really. I mean, everything sells. Re- you can there was like a like a rally towel thing going it was like end of april into into may where they were
1: yeah i i saw them pimping that on twitter quite a bit
2: yeah they were taking pre-orders for like these towels with everybody's faces on them and they were doing like these rank they were doing rankings every every couple days like pre-order rankings and uh like it's kind of a way to drum up competition because like if uh you know, Eito was obviously number one, but then it was like Kai above Kaito. So the Kaito girls had to rally and bring, <laughs> you know, bring Kaito back up by ordering three or four of the towels. You know, it's um things like that. I think
1: that. it was Kness that was that was tweeting those standings because Kness has turned into a really good Twitter follow for me. I think he's always tweeting interesting stuff. And I think he was tweeting out those top tens every day and getting a real kick out of the ranking. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that that was a good gimmick.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's they. They have um, there's a partnership with this uh, this thing called Webpon, which is kind of like an online gotcha thing. Essentially, you go in and you set the amount of money you want to you want to spend, and it's like like 500 yen per spin, something like that. And however much you spend, that's how many spins you get, and then you get like the random merchandise. There's one with uh, like all Yoshino merchandise right now going on, but Kuness was doing like uh, like a fortune telling thing. Every day, where he would say, "Okay, today I think the number one, I think you'll have the best chance to pull, uh, you know, your good luck pull today will be Susumu, and your bad luck pull will be Punch, and you know things, things like that." And that's that was that was cute.
0: If he wanted to continue the bit, he would have to go each day saying Punch is the bad luck pull. Like just every single time well, you get punch, that, you get bad luck.
2: That's kind of a given, though. I mean, that's.
1: <laughs> I gotta say, that's I just finished. <laughs> yeah, I just finished watching the Kobe show from this week, and I was watching the main event. going, you know what? Punch looks pretty good here. I mean, granted, he's in there with really good professional wrestlers alongside him. But whenever Punch has a good outing, I do feel the need to point it out. And I thought he looked pretty good in Kobe.
2: Yeah, I mean he he's he's fired up. I mean, he didn't he didn't get a move, he didn't get Yoshino's face, he didn't get Speed Star,
0: <laughs> but <laughs> I, I guess it, it, it's something that like talking about like Yoshino and getting towards the end with him. I found this the the whole uh bequeathing of moves really fascinating, especially seeing some of the ones he pulled out of his hat like like, like the fact that, like, Estrella got Komori, and I'm like, I can't remember the last time Yoshino did Komori. Like, the dude has a bad neck. He's not going and doing a tarantula-style choke here. And I I I found that really kind of fascinating how Punch, on the Kobe shows, has been openly, like, begging for things. And then Shimizu just comes out and says, like, oh, I just want your pose. That's it. And just leaves. Yeah. And,
2: like, the, the funny thing for Punch is he'll say, please give me something. And then Yoshino will ask him to say, okay, well, what do you want? And then Punch will say, okay, well, what do you got? <laughs> you know, coming out totally unprepared for it.
1: What is the uh what's the general vibe right now among the fans? I mean, I I know here uh, at Voices of Wrestling starting next week, or I guess I don't know when this is coming out, but the week leading up to World We're preparing five days worth of Dragon Gate content. I have a big piece on the the career of Masato Yoshino. I talked to a lot of wrestlers that wrestled against him, that wrestled with him. Uh, Larry Dallas, Lenny Leonard, people that have been involved with him for a number of years now. It, it feels like, at least among the bubble of English-speaking fans, like, okay, this is a really big deal. This is a transitional moment. I would assume, given the ticket sales for his retirement show, that it's being recognized as a as a really big deal there. But what's the general vibe in Japan right now in terms of Yoshino retiring?
2: Well, I mean, among Dragon Gate fans, it's the biggest deal. I mean, there's yeah. he's irreplaceable. You know, the, the thing about Yoshino is, like... How many people do you think have started watching Dragon Gate just because they've seen a GIF of him running the ropes? I mean, that's yeah, you know, surely countless, numerous on message boards or on Twitter where it's like this GIF is not sped up and it's him running the ropes, you know, in the ROH six man or some or something else, and that's you know. There's very, very few wrestlers in in the world or, you know, in the history of wrestling that are able to get somebody able to attract fans just by their rope running. Um, you can see that and see, OK, wow, this guy is something different. This, you know, this style is something different, something special. I got to check this out. And the other thing about Yoshino is. um, There's. The common there's that common talking point about how there's kind of a disconnect between you know Western fans and Japanese fans. You can also, but then you can break that down even more to between you know fans that are watching for the wrestling, fans that are watching for the hot guys, so on and so forth. And Yoshino is a guy that appeals to to all of those fans. You know, if you're a Western fan that's watching maybe more for the matches, you know, Yoshino's one of the best wrestlers in the world. If you're watching for, you know, because of the the speed, you know, he's, he's got speed. He's got, if you're someone, if you're like a wrestling fan that only likes guys that win, you know, he's the most decorated wrestler in the history of the company. You know, he's done everything multiple times, things that guys have only done zero or one time. He's done two or three times. If not four times. So, um, yeah, I mean, August 2nd is, I mean, it's not a new chapter. I mean, we're starting a new book is the best way to say it. Like, it's... I don't know where it falls in. I mean, when Shingo left, you know, Shingo leaving, it was time to leave for him, and obviously, it's worked out for everybody. Tozawa, Tozawa was sad, but Tozawa wasn't a Yoshino level star. Um, I it's the imp the impact of this can't be overstated. And the, the other thing is, you talked about the you know the ticket sales for August first, and you've got that kind of concern of okay is this the last you know how many of these people are going to continue watching you know there's always that concern too um so um yeah it's the, the biggest loss. it's as big of a loss as the company has ever seen but at the same time and we we've, we've been preparing for it for two years now essentially
0: yeah and it's something like you talked upon, you talked about like people like seeking out the gifts, like message boards and Twitter, like something that I've really noticed. And I know Jay, you maybe not have seen this as much, but I've, I've noticed more and more North American wrestlers now doing like younger wrestlers who, you know, are not of my generation. Some of them are even younger than case, but like one of the more predominant, uh, North American indie wrestlers, Lee Moriarty wears tights with the singlet down because he's Masaya Yoshino's favorite wrestler. And it's something that I find like kind of remarkable that when you look across the breadth of the dragon system and you're seeing like the homages and you're seeing people that are are starting to be inspired by this in like second generation now of that. And we're starting to see like really Yoshino is someone that kind of stands apart. Like Shingo, I mean he came on like a supernova, and still like is You're not necessarily seeing someone really go and try to do the made in Japan or have the singlet and the mohawk like him, but you still see some like even stylistic influence that Masato Yoshino has kind of spread down and across you know the Pacific.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, we're seeing a lot of the the, the children of Dragon Gate USA now. I guess it would be with Dragon Gate USA being a decade on. You know, the kids that were at the Dragon Gate USA show or the ones that, you know, trained with people like Ricochet or UHA or whatever it may be. I mean, those were the, you know, Yoshino was the stuff was, you know, that's when he was coming into his own. He was in all the main events and all the big matches and you still had Doyoshi doing their thing around that time. So it would make sense that we start to see that some of that influence from the you know the early 2010s starts to come in now because those you know all those kids are are coming of age
1: the children of dragon at usa is a a terrifying thing to think about but but jay i was wondering because i talked to people like the sidell brothers and, and Gran Akuma who all had these personal interactions with yoshino who they shared with me and i yoshino seems like a very private person who keeps to himself uh, we've known each other on to some extent for seven or eight years now, and, and you're a very private person. I'm curious though if you have had any personal interactions with Yoshino that are either memorable or that you feel like sharing.
2: Very, very few um, he's He's not very accessible, I guess no social
1: media which i i find fascinating because it seemed like there was a point in time where no one was on social media but like shingo tozawa and shima and then everybody got one and yoshino still holding out
2: yeah it was like the the company directive when um dragon gate entertainment started was everybody everybody get on social media so there was that that rush in what may of may of 2018 june of 2000 into july because don fuji used all his data before he could sign
0: up I mean, the, 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 there was a there was a basho going on. To be fair, like he he had stuff he needed to watch before he yeah. bothered with the Twitter app.
2: So the
1: basho um, in seventies New Japan. Sorry, go ahead, Jay.
2: I'm trying. I'm actually trying to think of conversations I've had with Yoshino beyond like beyond pleasantries. And you know, there's very. I mean, he he comes up and says hi every time. Like he'll he'll go out of his way to come and say hi. But I don't think I've ever like he's never been at any of the like um, I mean I've only really been privy to this sort of stuff for the last you know year year and a half as far as just being able to freely walk around and talk to people but he's he's usually never around never at like the you know the after parties or anything like that and uh, I've never really felt like at the the fan parties that they that they have the fans the the parties that I attended previously like I've never really gone up and talked i've talked to doi a lot but i've never really talked to yoshino i guess beyond just hey how you doing how's this you know how's the shoulder feeling how's the ankle feeling you know whatever whatever little thing he's dealing with at the time but no he is definitely a, a private person that's why when you get stories like horiguchi telling the story about you know how they would go and uh in their younger days go out and uh tear up the town it's kind of weird to hear that because you don't really have that you have that image of yoshino he goes and works out goes and watches a baseball game goes and works out again and goes to sleep
0: (laughs) and and i think that that you brought up doi there and i think that that's one of those things that at least i think is going to be so missing come august 2nd is like the classic doi yoshi uh end of the show they're just joking around, having pleasantries, and saying, Thank you all very much for coming. See you next time. And it's such an interesting dichotomy between Naruki Doi and Masato Yoshino because, like, I've known from talking to people and, like, this that Naruki Doi is, like, a big, giant, I, I don't want to say the word nerd, but, like, he is a huge, like, student of the wrestling game. He oh, loves, yeah. like, watching, like, old, old, like, territory stuff. And when, when Case and I were rewatching, the drag all the dragon gate usa shows there was this one match that uh he had with john moxley in burlington north carolina that was like holy crap naruki is being like the territory champion coming facing the local upstart and we don't really have that as much information with that about masato yoshino and like his personal relationship with wrestling and i think i find that all very fascinating how like these two guys over the last 21 years have kind of formed like this dichotomy that comes together to this whole that's going to be Completely adrift in a way. Come August second.
2: Yeah, you know, Doi. You know, Doi's a lifelong wrestling fan, and Yoshino didn't get into wrestling until he got into wrestling. Really, you know, because he was, you know, he was a fan, but he was pursuing baseball until he decided, until whatever the the thing was that made him flip the switch and get into wrestling. So, but yeah, I mean, Doi's going to be really interesting to watch um, for the you know that that month coming out of it because he's going to be the, he's going to be the key guy as far as you know you know what what is he going to join a unit is he going to make his own unit you know how does he cope who's he going to who's he going to turn on when when the sickness hits you know there's all those different things that he's going to have to deal with let's uh
1: Let's go to the start of Yoshino's career because I had a question about his time in T2P and and Torimon that I did not know the answer to, uh, which means I turn it to Jay uh, because he, he would be the one that would know more than me. But can you explain the dichotomy a little bit of Yoshino? in milano because milano was obviously presented as the ace of t2p and the star coming out of that class but am i correct in saying that yoshino was protected just as much if not a little bit more in terms of who was taking pinfalls and of terms of uh not star power but just always looking
2: strong yeah so yoshino wasn't yoshino was supposed to be a masked wrestler um there were essentially when ttp started there was you know milano came over from fmw um so he was a little bit ahead and because he was tall and sort of athletically gifted he was put through like special gymnastics training like there was like uh guys would either you know they would do their training at the dojo and then for most of them it would be end of the day then it was young boy duties but Milano got sent to extra gymnastics training, so he was going to be the ace from the beginning. There was also a guy in the fifth class that I guess was really short, but also super athletic. So they were going to make him like the T2P version of Dragon Kid. Like they had a the char- oh, they had the character ready and everything, but for whatever reason, he just. He didn't make it either. He ran out of money, he got injured, something like that. So they, they were going to give... They kind of altered... They wanted to have a masked wrestler in T2P. So they were going to give it to... They were going to give it to Yoshino. And, you know, Yoshino would be like the big masked flying babyface. But... Um, the costume was ready. Yoshino had it. He was, they were going to introduce him at a Korokan a Hall show, I guess. Like at the end of a Korokan Hall show, Dragon was going to bring out T2P and, or just Yoshino. I don't know the exact details on it, but whatever it was, uh, Dragon forgot like the show, like the, the show ended <laughs> and he never, he never called Yoshino out, out. And it was just like, Oh, okay, we'll do it. We'll do it at another time. And sometime before this happened, one of his uh, business associates, like his business associate's wife, was like, you can't put a mask on that on that kid. He's too handsome. And Dragon said, oh, OK, you're right. <laughs> and huh! d- didn't didn't put a mask. They didn't put a mask on him. He went to, you know, he went to they went to Mexico and Dragon got drunk one night and watched the Disney Tarzan movie. And, uh, so after he's done watching it, he's all fired up. He goes and calls over Yoshino and says, you're fit. You know, you kind of look like Tarzan. So grow your hair out. And, you know, Yoshino's like, I don't want to grow my hair out, but you can't say no. Can't say no to the boss. So he had to grow his hair out and they made him go and do like dragon would call him to the ring and make him practice like the Tarzan yell. Like, you know, go get up, get up on the post and do this, you know, do the Tarzan pose. And he would do it and say, no, you got to do it more like this. And Yoshino said that was actually the hardest part of his training <laughs> for a while. But um, it really wasn't until he started to get popular in uh, in Japan. Because you remember, he lost to, you know, he lost to Milano in the finals of the TTP the, the League, which kind of set the pecking order. Essentially, but then um, once you got towards the end of the, you, know, you had Yagi was essentially the one taking the pinfalls in the Italian Connection matches. or brother, so there was really there was no need for Yoshino to lose. But like you said, he actually went on and continued to be undefeated after Milano lost for the first time. It wasn't it went all the way up until I think the Numero Uno semifinals or something like that before he actually lost for the first time. Yeah, and I so. didn't I didn't
1: realize until recently that once he won the welterweight belt, I think that's from Horaguchi, that he doesn't he doesn't lose it until it's vacated until the promotion flips over to Drangate, which is as lengthy of a singles title run in and, and the lineage of of this promotion that I can remember, I guess other than Shima's Dreamgate run obviously, but he held that belt for over a year.
2: Yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was about yeah, fifteen months, fourteen months, something like that. Yeah. And he was uh, undefeated. I mean, he lost in Numero Uno a couple times to- in two thousand four, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, as a, it wasn't until he joined Blood Generation. Like, in, there was a couple of years in Blood Generation where he was kind of the fall guy for the group, which felt really weird. But aside from that, that maybe two or th- two and a half year gap right after he turned heel again like aside from that he's been a guy that doesn't lose unless it's got a purpose
0: and something that you brought up that i was gonna i I wanted you to, to finish your point there uh him discovering wrestling is something that i find very fascinating because i i think this might have been through one of your old timelines or me just trying to go through like machine translations is it true that Masato Yoshino was in JWA Kansai, the backyard fed, before he did Toriumon? He was, yes. I I just find that all really, I I find like the under indies and like university wrestling in Japan so fascinating. Like the people that somehow came from there and somehow didn't. Of course, some of the ones had different gimmicks, but if like apparently, at, at least from like my memory, he he wrestled under his real name in these backyard feds, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, it was after what was it? It was like 96 right after, after Enoki versus Vader, mm-hmm. I think was the match that ended up getting him into wrestling. And then he went into JWA for a little while, like uh, until he God, what was it? Um,
0: went to, went to university. Yeah. And with, with like baseball and like the, one of the coolest things I remember, I don't know if it's still on the network now. I knew it was when prime zones just existed and had the uh the subtitles was him him talking about how his uh running slap and kind of running lariat was all baseball inspired i knew that he was pretty high level in baseball he ne- he never made koshian or anything in university did he um
2: i that i don't that i don't know the only baseball story the only baseball story i know is um i guess in either middle school Maybe elementary school or middle school. There was a huge baseball. There was like a baseball tournament in Kansai, and he and Doi played in the same league. So they were on the field at the same time. You know, long before they you know ever got into wrestling. God, that
1: that needs to be used in a promo package somewhere. I I can't believe I've never heard that before.
2: Yeah, that's a a commentary spoiler. Sorry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Jay, let me ask you, uh, as we kind of move past the Italian connection, uh, is there a specific era of Yoshino's career, I guess maybe it is the Italian connection. Is there a specific era of his career that you point to and you look at that as your favorite timeline of Yoshino that you think he was doing his best work here uh, and that, that you enjoy the most?
2: Um, I, The Kness matches from that period, I think are some of, you know, some of his best singles work. Um, but uh, I'd say post monster express is yeah. probably, the, the best overall period that he's had. I think that's where he was finally cemented really as, you know, superhero, super baby face, you know, best wrestler in the company, best performer in the company, total package Yoshino.
1: We've been having people come on it and bring up one specific Yoshino match. Uh, we've, we've had some weird picks here. I talked about, yoshino versus t hawk at world one year just because i think it's such a miraculous yoshino performance and i was someone that at the time was a very vocal supporter of t hawk and now i look back on it i go oh my god yoshino's just on another level in that match uh we've covered the the spectrum of his career to some extent is there one match that i you know had we asked you to come on and talk about a match is there one yoshino match that really sticks out in your mind as his definitive performance uh, a load a loaded question, I know, but we, we would sit down I, and we go, well oh, it's it's Yoshino, there's so many great matches, then you really take into consideration just how many there are, and it became an increasingly nerve wracking thing to pick one single Yoshino match to talk yeah, about for a week.
2: That's impossible. I mean Yeah. One of the matches that I point to a lot is the elimination match from Dead or Alive 2010. Yeah um cuz that was the performance where like in 2009 there was also like a similar match at Dead or Alive I think it was a four way where like he beat it was what Shingo Kage and Cyber all like and he and he got all the he got all the pinfalls in that match on the way to his first dreamgate title match his the dreamgate title shot with Doi. and a lot of people you know maybe that was the beginning of the ascension but I think 2000 the match in 2010 was where he finally, you know, like when he won that match at the end, it was like, "God, this guy's got to win the title soon." And you know, then he went on beat Yamato at, at World to win it. But I, I think that's the match where he, to me, finally became okay. It's time. It's time to to belt this guy.
0: And it's something that. Oh, sorry, Jay. Go ahead. No, I was just inhaling. Uh, it, it, it's something that, like, I. Case you picked that match for the series that and, yeah, and like I, re-watching I, it. It was I, insane. I rewatched
1: watched it off of Jay's recommendation. I was going through some of his old tweets, and I remember him specifically pointing that match out, and it's not one that, you know, if you would ask me this question last year, it's not one that I would have turned to, but I remember Jay making that point on Twitter at one point of, you know, hey, this is a really special match in his career, and then you go back and watch it, and you see that it is, such a complete performance from bell to bell. It's a great match, you know, and what we have on, on the network, it's mostly there. It's a little clip, but we, we get good chunks of it. And yeah, it, it makes sense. I mean, it's really an incredible performance that I think even if like, you know, I'm very fond of the world one era of him, everything he was doing with Doi and with Pac and the, you know, the tags and trios that he was doing, but that era of Yoshino to me, never jumps out as, wow, this guy could lead the company one day. And then by 2010 he has that match at Dead or Alive. And as Jay said, you kind of reach a point by the end where you go, Oh my god, this guy needs to get the Dreamgate belt. And for that, I, I do think it's one of the most important matches of his career.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's not because it's like a eight, eight or ten-man elimination match, it's not even something you would think about initially if you're just glossing over match lists and thinking uh you know so what's a good yoshino match to watch you know you don't if you're looking to single out someone for like an individual performance in a match those types of matches usually are ones that you're going to skip over because there's so much going on in them but because of there, there was like a 10 minute you know he was i think the first guy in and then there was like a 10 minute finish one-on-one finishing stretch in that as well Really yeah. great match. Like, if any, so if anybody hasn't watched it, um, please go. To Dead or Alive 2010, the Elimination, the World One and Warriors Warriors Elimination match.
0: Yeah, and, and that was like the thing that really like struck me during the match is that it, it goes down to be Osaka Zenroke and then Hulk and and Masato Yoshino, and then Hulk gets eliminated, and then it's two on one for the uh, for like the next few minutes, and then it's him and Shima, and it's the moment they're like, oh all right, like this is Shima in 2010 and this is Yoshino who has had Dreamgate shots. I mean, he's more considered like the, the, the founder, one of the founders of the Twin Gate division and, and Mr. Bravegate at the time. And you're like, Oh no, no, he is the guy. And the way that like they finished that match, it's so definitive. It's like, all right, we you don't really need to worry about King of Gate this year because it's going to be Masato Yoshino at Kobe world for the first time. Right.
1: I was very critical of Yoshino earlier this year when he came back, he did the, the homecoming show and then dead or alive. I just remember kind of feeling bummed out because I was like, man, he's not moving. Well, it doesn't seem like he can do any of his signature spots, but over the past few months, and in particular, this Kobe show from, from earlier this week, I, I have full faith that Yoshino for one or two more nights can really, uh, pull into his bag of tricks and, and deliver it doesn't need to be a great match the purpose of these two shows for him is not great matches but it does seem like he's going to be able to perform at some sort of high level i'm curious from your perspective jay because it was a match that mike and i absolutely raved about when it happened and it seems like it could go down as one of the last great masada yoshino matches the unitas bands match from final gate this past year i gave it five stars i think I think Mike gave it five stars. Was that universally recognized as a masterpiece,
2: like we thought it was? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it got the it got the best match award on the network and everything like that. Yeah, I mean that's because of the way things went down. That's going to end up going down being the the last great match of his career. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know he was planning on working the full schedule this year, but it didn't didn't
0: work out. And it's something that it seems like that recent weeks for the most or recent months for the most part kind of have alleviated it but a lot of hits kind of came at the end of last year with like yoshino suffering the after effects of that match doys elbow the final show of the year dragon Daya having the collarbone, yeah and then kondo it seems like that for i know case okay, this is something we were talking a little bit before on air it seems like that for the most part this is the most that the injury list has been cleared out is it just uh, Fuchikawa and Strong Machine J at this point do you have any idea about anyone else or um, well, what they're, they're their status is hip is out to hip head surgery Oh,
1: that, that's who we were forgetting we knew there was a third guy we couldn't think of it before we got on the air
2: uh yeah uh Machine J should be back he's got a homecoming show in September that he's heavily advertised for so that kind of implies he's going to be back by then, and Fujikawa is back, and he's been working towards a comeback too. I think they're just holding, holding him off until after World, because if they bring, if he came back now, mm-hmm. there would be nothing, nothing to do with him. So it'll have more impact to have him come back after, because I think it's important to kind of establish the, okay, Yoshino's gone, but you know Yoshino's done but Dragon Gate isn't done so here's you know Sora Fujikawa is back and you know Machine J Strong Machine J is coming back and we've got these six kids ready to debut and all of that I was going to ask about the
1: future's kids because I I've, I've really enjoyed that series on the network it's just something a little different in terms of presentation that I've really ever seen from Dragon Gate and the most recent upload on the network, which I am looking for the date there. Uh, cause I, it was, uh, the KBS Ky- hall. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. Do you have any, I guess, insight into that future class in terms of anyone that's really sticking out or anyone that's
2: already getting some sort of reaction? Um, well, you know, reaction is tough because it goes on before people are there. Really? Yeah. You know, people are kind of, still filing in um but you know the two in kyoto were uh ishin kids the uh, ishin and riki uh, the ihashi brothers um you know obviously being second generation is always going to be kind of a big deal and you know that actually their third generation well i don't know, just, how does it work if your uncle is also a wrestler does that still make you technically second generation
0: right because it's not your grandfather I would have to ask Cubs fan or a Lucha. Okay. Okay. So, so, you know, like
2: (laughs) their, their father is a wrestler. Um, you know, their uncle was a wrestler and, you know, an important person in the show wrestling in the seventies. And, you know, their mother was a wrestler. So it's like they come from a wrestling family and, uh, you know, both of them, you know, they got, they're both in shape. Um, the one kid's pretty ugly, but that's fine. Um, you know, the thing, having second generation wrestlers is also really important for things like sponsors because they inherit their father's, you know, like all their father's business connections and everything. Like Strong Machine J, the, the, let me, actually, this is going to go off on kind of a tangent here, but um, are you guys familiar with, okay, so there's this, a group in, a company in Japan called, they're called the Lek
0: Company, Um the sponge
2: company. The spa- yeah, yeah, the sponge company, essentially. So they're like a huge household goods company here in Japan. You know, they make sponges, they make like insecticides, they make all kinds of different things, and they have a lot of money. But the the boss is a huge, 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 huge pro wrestling fan. Going all the way back to like the Tiger Mask era. And he was kind of an associate of, uh, the original strong machine, you know, of strong machine dad. And, you know, it was through the, you know, through that connection, this guy's ended up getting back into wrestling and now he's sponsoring, like he sponsored wrestle kingdom, I think. And he's been sponsoring like stardom shows and he's sponsoring world. And he's the one that is, that puts up the money for the Amazon shows, like the Amazon prime. I think all Japan also has one. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, you watch those shows and there's all this wild stuff going on, right? Like, you, you know, like there's Noah guy like Keno is showing up and challenging Yamato and you've got Shuji Ishikawa as giant machine and you've got whatever was there was something wild. Like I think RED showed up on the All Japan show as well. And like Milano is coming in to do commentary on the next Dragon Gate one. And it's all this wild stuff because it's. So like people always say, you know, like AEW is a money mark fed. <laughs> like they need to watch these, these Amazon Prime shows if they want to see what is what a real money mark fed looks like. Because well, this yeah, guy's, they got Chono there. Yeah, Chono was there, and they brought in they brought in Food like Fujinami's kid.
0: Just oh, to co- oh god. Oh god. Leona. Leona
2: god. just to, you know there's the, the, the old famous thing you know with Strong Machine and with uh, the original Strong Machine and Tetsumi Fujinami where he was just like you know everyone knew he was Jinji Hirata and he was like you're you know you're Hirata right so the, like and that was a huge moment in um Mr. Nagamori's youth so he brought in Fujinami's kid to do it with, do the same thing with Strong Machine J. <laughs> And then that was it. Like he just brought him in. He did like a weird match on the undercard that was nothing. And then he came out at the end of the show and said the line, and you know the the boss popped, and that was it. But like, so so the the boss is putting the, the boss is putting together all of these Amazon shows. Like, is it his
1: vision and pretty much his call? It's yeah. I mean,
2: he's it's whatever whatever he wants to do on that. He just spends the money and makes it happen.
1: Fascinating.
2: Yeah, I mean, I
0: do. Mean, <laughs> I joke around about wanting to restart hustle or try and get USA if I win the jackpot. Maybe I should just get into uh, cleaning goods and <laughs> you know. So
2: the the reason I went off on this tangent is just because you know that connection came. I mean, this guy has been kind of kind of propping up Japanese wrestling since the pandemic started with all the sponsorships he's been doing. And you know, this is a business connection that came about. You know, because of strong, you know, strong machine J being second generation and having this connection from his dad, so it's going to be interesting to see what kind of things the Ishinriki kids, Ishinriki's kids, can bring in. Um, so I'm looking forward to those two debuting. Um, there's also Hayakawa. He's the really little kid.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I he's, remember seeing him he's on a couple of Kobe shows. Sh-
2: he's short but kind of jacked. But he's got little man syndrome. like he goes in there, even though these are sparring sessions, but he's got a real chip on his shoulder all the time. So like when he he's kind of a I don't want to say champion, like, but like he's um, got an extensive grappling background. So you can kind of you can see him trying to flex on guys in the, in the, in these sparring matches. like he's tooled around with uh, Fujiwara quite a bit. <laughs> So he's going to be an interesting kid to watch because he's he's really short, but I think the fans are really going to get behind him if he if he continues to be all fired up when the debuts happen. Um, What do you think? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. uh, uh, No, go ahead. I I got lost in
0: thought.
1: I I was just going to ask what you think about this current class of youngsters between SBK and Kamei and Kakuta. And Fujikawa, to some extent, I mean, it's crazy to think Fujikawa's has basically been gone for a year now. I think he got hurt in early August, but he was someone that made such a big impression on me and Mike upon his debut. It seems like this is a class that I, I know it's connecting with the English speaking audience. I mean, people are really into SBK from what I can gather. And from what I can tell from from where you're at, Kamei seems like sort of a heartthrob type uh, I don't get a good read on Kakuta, but then obviously S.P. Kento is being put in these positions for a reason. It seems like he is connecting like a genuine star.
2: Yeah, you know the, this class is really varied in terms of what it what they what it brings to the table. Um, you know, you've got Kame is kind of the you know the little cute the little cute guy. Um, the character is kind of you know before he got the the funky Jackie character, you know he was kind of. He was just kind of, you know, like the the glass of milk. It's nice, but it's not, you know, there's nothing special about it. So giving him, this character has kind of added a little flavor, a little bit of a twist. And obviously just just being in a unit alone will, you know, will help a lot because you get to play off of the other personalities in the group. You know, SB Kento is so far ahead of everybody else at this point. It's not even really fair to compare him to Kame and Hip. You know, he's I'm, such... I'm constantly blown away by him i just can't believe
1: he continues to succeed in all the in all the positions he's been put in it really i i do you have a comparison for it is it milano like is it something we haven't mm. seen before i mean what's the comp
2: yeah i don't know um let me think it's it's very you have to really go back to you know those original classes where you were getting somebody that was this complete right out of the gate you know you've got guys like Yamato who got good really fast but the personality wasn't there when they debuted you know it took you know a year two years maybe until you know until real hazard for Yamato to, to find his gimmick. Shingo was kind of the same thing. You know, Shingo was just the guy that liked to work out until he came back from the U.S. Um, so, but to have a guy that could perform at a high level, that can talk at a high level, that gets his character, like, and is also like a money guy, like a money draw, it's, this, it's unbelievable. If he was three inches taller, he'd be champion already. God. Yeah, I, 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 I've said before, and
1: sorry to cut you off there, Mike, but it seems like the weakest part of his game right now might be the in-ring, which is yeah, yeah. wild. But his his character just, I, you know, and it's it's been primarily in clap crowns and limited capacity COVID settings, which is amazing. But I still feel like every time he comes out, he is one of the biggest stars on the show, and in a weird way and i i don't i don't want to imply that they're directly related but his rise coming at the same time that ata like you said earlier has really been uh downplayed on these cards is a really interesting dynamic to me
2: yeah i do agree with the fact that his in-ring is still a little weak and i i think a lot of that is just because he's leaning so hard into trying to be a heel that it turns it turns all of his matches into into nutshot nonsense
0: um I mean, he's not doing the Bobby Hill special like Hyo was for a while.
2: No, well, I mean, he—he he, think he kicked he kicked Yoshida in the nuts the other day, but <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Um, like, I wasn't really thrilled with any of his King of Gate stuff. Uh, I think he—he's better. He's been better in tags. Um, but I, you know, we'll see in the second half of the year. Um, obviously, they're positioning him. He could eventually be the guy that takes over. Um, you know, as the heal group leader, since he can talk so well and he can, you know, maybe when hip comes back and they've got, and
0: yeah, I don't know. It It's really a fascinating situation with R.E.D. because I, I think anyone who has really followed, you know, the dragon system for long enough can see that. All right. R.E.D. is probably at, the, at its end of its lifespan here, but you you see like the collection of people there, and then you're like, okay, they're not going to turn Doi after Yoshino retires, or if they are, they it's could. Going... yeah, it it would be such like a huge thing. To be like, oh wow, he was spending his time playing playing nice Doi, and then he found someone to turn against, probably Dragon Kid, because it's Dragon Kid. But it it's fascinating to me that you have Red at this point that they're coming up on their three year anniversary, and you, you look at Ishida, Ishida, someone who's taken that step forward. And then SB Kento that like, I have stopped considering of what kind of ceiling he has as a guy. And also this is something, something that I wanted to point out. The fact that they had the, uh, the they had the confidence in him to be like, all right, this is the big show in your hometown and your first one, you're going in the cage and you're losing your hair. Like that to me was like, okay, he is cool. He's the person that just pencil in for the next like 10 years Hopefully that that he's going to end up being like this major part of the company here, but RED and just the overall like heel unit thing is going to be one of those things that a lot of ways to go, and I don't have a feel on it in a way that I thought I would be coming up to Kobe World and Speedstar our final.
2: Yeah, yeah. I uh, the thing you gotta the, the thing to think about is you know with Yoshino getting hurt and not being able to compete. Um, from the start and also daya getting hurt I think daya getting hurt early put put the brakes on the inferno feud so who knows what kind of effect that had on on the cage match or you know whatever but um, a lot since Yoshino wasn't able to go a lot of it has just been holding pattern now into the, let's just you know try and keep things interesting let's settle a couple of feuds let's um, you know, do what we can with Shun, let's establish Kota, and then after, after let's just keep, you know, keep the, keep the ship steady, not do anything big until after Yoshino's retirement show, and then that's when we start, you know, we come out firing at the first Osaka or the first Korokin.
1: Jay, let me ask you this. It's a it's a broad question, but it's a question I like asking you every once in a while, just because I, I think you read things a little bit differently than I do. Through the first seven months of the year, what have you really enjoyed? Is there anything that's jumped out to you as being particularly special or enjoyable? Uh, match-wise? Yeah, or is there anyone that's jumping off the screen for you, any matches that you found to be really memorable? Um, I
2: mean, Kaito versus Skywalker, I think, is a match that a lot of people haven't just didn't watch. For whatever reason,
1: I I think it's the best match they've had uh, this year in the company.
2: Yeah, I think so too. Um, gosh, what else? Um, the thing about this year has been uh, the accessory shows have all been outstanding. Like um, there was a, a couple weeks stretch. There was like there was Yoshino's homecoming show. And then a couple days later, there was a there was a show in Sambo, and both of those shows were just incredible. But then, after that, we came out of that, and Dead or Alive didn't hit, and then Korakin got canceled. So like those great matches, those great King of Gate matches, like uh, Skywalker versus Yamato, and uh, gosh, what else was on that? Was it KZ and Susumu
1: was on that show? Yeah, that
2: was that was on the empty
1: arena one. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and then you had the there are a bunch of great King K.O.G. matches. In, At the the Sapporo triple shot as well, but like people just don't watch those those shows unless they're fans already, and it's because they disappear so quickly. It's really hard to recommend those things. Um, But those smaller the the, the issue with this year is it's been the Korokin shows and the bigger shows where the matches haven't hit as much, so it's been kind of. on the surface, you would think this year has been kind of a flat year, but if you've been watching all the smaller stuff, there's been a lot of great, a lot of great tags. K.O.G. was great from start to finish. The Champion Gate shows were good, but um, despite all that, it still feels like there's not not a whole lot of momentum going on this year.
0: And it's something that I think is kind of interesting because I know Case and I we have thought about that around Corkins and about like okay, you no. Know, you can't help out what happened with Kakuta like that. I mean, portion his tower run going the way it did in that yeah, way. Yeah, it's terrible. But, yeah.
2: you know, Hip was... The thing is, I guess he uh, had shoulder problems before. You know, like once you dislocate it once, it dislocates... It gets easier and easier to dislocate it. Strong Machine J had the same problem. And, you know, Yamato and Hulk also had the same problem several years ago. So it was just like a ticking time bomb thing. And it just ha- it happened at the absolute worst time. Like, he was absolutely fine after that match. Like, he went backstage, they put it back in, and he was up, he was fine. But because of the situation and the fact that it, it happened at the absolute worst time, he's, he decided to get the surgery to fix it.
0: And it's something I know of wrestlers outside of Dragon Gate who have had the continual things that eventually they're like, okay, I'm taking the time, I'm getting the surgery. I know someone got, like, one that was, like, grafting an extra part of a bone into your socket i'm like okay that yeah no wonder you um, hold off on that the,
2: the kid the kid in in the uk uh lycos right right yeah y- yeah yeah i know he got something pretty I and mean, he got something similar and it kept him he was out he, he had to retire for what a year and mm-hmm. a half or whatever so i think this is similar like machine j it's gonna be nine months nine ten months by the time he gets back so like this this type of surgery is a big, you know, it's a, it's a big recovery time.
1: Jay, I want to shift gears for just a second. We've had you here for about an hour. We'll wrap this up soon, I promise. But there are, are there two more things I wanted to hit on real quick. One being something that we discussed on Twitter a few weeks ago. Uh, the timeline of <laughs> Shingo's debut, and I do apologize if I came across Snippy on Twitter. It was not my intention. I feel bad about it still. But uh, obviously... I have had some some incorrect theories about Shingo's debut. Can you sort of walk us through him entering, training up through his debut and how all of that went?
2: Okay, let me let me apologize first as well because I came off probably even worse when I tweeted that. Like I was in the middle like I was listening to that podcast in the background and I was arguing with somebody at work and I was just like, oh, "Wait, a minute, that's yeah, I was just—I was in a bad mood when I tweeted it, so I want to apologize to you. I want to apologize to Alan. I want to apologize to the other guys on that podcast if that tweet came off bad. Like that was poor form on my part, and I'm sorry. I was wrong. Um, <laughs> totally okay. No, like really, like I do feel bad about it. Um, especially because like right after that, like those guys put me over kind of, kind of big on that podcast as well. So I felt really, <laughs> really bad. Um, like legitimate, like I. I do feel bad about that so i'm sorry um so anyway shingo was just a regular he was the torimon so the torimon timeline goes there was the 13th class which is okada horiguchi uh, Hiromi, hiromu or hiromi horiguchi uh banana chango um there's that group that's the group that debuted in mexico while torimon japan still existed then there was the 14th class. The 14th class was guys like, uh, oh geez, who's like, like Hanaoka, Daisuke Hanaoka, and also, um, like, uh, what's his name? The uh, Nakajima Mensore, the guy in All Japan.
0: Okay, also, I, didn't, I also, didn't know that.
2: Yeah, uh, he's, and then there's another one, uh, Yamada, Yamada Manpando Like those are the three guys that I think are still around from that class, but they were, they had just gone to Mexico and were doing their initial training when the split, when the Torimon Japan ended and Dragon Gate started, so they never came back to Japan. But then, in uh, in April of two thousand four, the fifteenth class um, had actually already came in and joined and were training in Torimon, so it was. Shingo, BB Hulk, Akira Tozawa. There's also uh, uh Katsuo and uh Tadasuke. I think he's in Noah now, Exosaka Pro guy. Yeah, he's in Noah. Right. Yeah. Uh so there was that class. But the way the deal the way the deal works is when you first joined the gym, you would stay in Japan for six months. You know, and you would, you know, that's kind of where they would weed out the week, like the guys that didn't make it. And, you know, at the end of six months, the people that were still around, you know, if they would then get sent to Mexico to go on to train and get ready for their debut. But, you know, joining in April, six months takes you to October, right? So when, as part of the terms of the split, uh, the class, you know, the kids that were already in Mexico stayed with Torimon and those that were still in Japan stayed with Dragon Gate. And Shingo was just a regular young boy. I think maybe he disappeared for the last two months or so, because I remember when they brought him in as like the mystery partner for Crazy Max, he was under a mask. So, uh, but he was, I know that there's, you can watch some of the, like the El Numero Uno stuff, or maybe like the post El Numero Uno stuff in May or June, and you can see him as a young boy outside the ring out there so yeah someone really...
1: so, someone scr- sent a screenshot of that to me on twitter of it's el, the uno el numero uno final that big pay-per-view um okay and i had i had never seen that before and it, it blew my mind of i you know that's uh 2004 is an era i feel like i'm pretty familiar with but i had never noticed shingo on the outside before but he's definitely there wearing a Toriyama shirt
2: but you know you know you watch that stuff it's not until you watch it again that you notice those things because the first yeah. time you the first time you watch it, you're not you know the young boys are just faces that you don't recognize. It's when you go back and watch it years later, and then you start paying attention to those sort of things, you'd say, "Oh wow, look at that. So but yeah, and the other, the other thing I wanted to mention was Tanazaki, because um, so I know people kind of wonder how Tanizaki ended up over there. And I guess uh, someone li- I guess Mochizuki liked him. And just invite one day invited him randomly. Like there was no plan. It was just like, hey, why don't you just come with us? And Tanizaki said okay, because they wanted a they wanted a surfer character.
1: That feels like a real uh, indictment on just the Toriamon X class. Where I guess it just it's it feels very apropos of Toriyama X of Mochizuki says, okay, you're going to come with us now, and the rest of you guys uh, do what do whatever it is you're doing, but please stay away from us. Is kind of the vibe I get from that. But that's just. I don't know, Toribon X is my big blind spot because I'm continuously baffled by their history.
2: Well, they weren't going to... I mean, they weren't going to be able to get Ishimori. I mean, that was... I mean, he and he was really the only other big get out of that group. Um, Kage, I guess, but Kage wasn't good yet either. Um,
0: you know, and, I mean, and, like, what you've done with him at that point.
2: Right. It's, it's difficult. You know, Tanizaki had the unique character, and... One of the important things about the launch of Dragon Gate was launching with familiarity. You know that's why there was a, that's why they scrambled and put Final M2K together was because having a group called M2K lets you know that it's still the same company. So having you know Horaguchi, the surfer character, was such a famous you know that's like one of the Maybe the most famous gimmick from the early days of Torimon Japan, because I think he was one of the f- he was the first of the younger guys to get like that recognizable character. So, you know, having, you know, you know, Horaguchi's moved on, he's lost his hair, he's a totally different guy now. But hey, we've still got a guy that surfs. Was very, was very important.
1: So I, this is uh, pure speculation on on your end, but... So, if the Dragon Gate logo, as it came to be, was existing throughout 2003, do you know of the first time there were rumblings of a
2: split? Because it obviously this had to have been in the works for some time. Ah, uh, so I don't, I don't know the exact timing on this. I actually meant to a- ask somebody about this recently, and I forgot. Um, but essentially, when Dragon was in WWE. After he had went to after he had left for WWE, like he gave an interview, um, and again I don't know the timing. I don't know if this was like summer or if this is end of 2003 or when this was. But he gave an interview where, like, they were asking, like, because he was still drawing a salary. He was still drawing a high salary from Toriyama Japan, and it was just kind of like you know, Tor, you know, I paved the way for them. You know, why shouldn't I profit off of it? Essentially. <laughs> And and Magnum and whoever, you know, Magnum and Okamura or whoever it was, was just like, well, how about no? How about you don't pop <laughs> <up with> it off of it? And that's essentially how it began. And, you know, whether registering the Dragon, you know, the Dragon Gate brand name with Banpresto was a strategic move or if it was a move to if or if it was just to create you you know a merchandise brand or what it was you know i don't know for sure but
1: we had talked on on the show a few weeks ago Uh, mike and i have recently kind of become fascinated by just the overall career of ishimori from (laughs) X to what he's doing now because there's a lot (laughs) there's a lot of different avenues that could go down I, i i believe the last time you were on the show and this i just want clarification here i is it true that Ishimori and Ultimo at this point really have no relationship?
2: Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, Dragon doesn't isn't exactly close with all of his students. Yeah. Um you know, there's there's a lot of like he doesn't even remember a lot of them. <laughs> um you know, like he talks about Ishimori in his book a little bit. But it was just kind of like this kid was really good. I put him in a in an idol group called the Sailor Boys, and it fucking sucked. And then that was is, kind is of is there essentially... anything
1: uh, anything super revealing in Altimo's book that we should know? I haven't read it actually. Gotcha, I, um, gotcha.
2: I, I, I just Ishimori tweeted out that that little passage. He was just like, "Yep, the Sailor Boys was a failure." <laughs> and it, but it was like you know it was you know seeing it written in the book. Um, yeah, but. It's like you know, he's in new you know the guys in New Japan can't really like if it's in like as far as Ishimori coming to like future reunion shows and things like that, you know, the guys in New Japan can't do it. like these, least the, you know, the active wrestlers, anyway, can't do it, so it's kind of like a moot point.
0: It's just something that like thinking about like Ishimori and how all that went and Ultimo's memory of these people, I'm wondering about like some of the people who are washouts if, if like. How much does Ultimo remember Kanoka? Like, for example, and I just find that not, all not at fe-
2: all, not at all, actually. I can actually okay. speak, I can speak <laughs> about that one in particular because there was, gosh, where was it? I think it was an Owashi produced, put on a show. Yeah, this was during, uh, during the 20th anniversary series. Owashi put on a show because there was an, uh, like, Mochizuki wrestled on it and they did like a Aganisu match on there. But on the undercard, there was, um, it was like Takanashi, Ken Oka, oh gosh, and someone else. I'm going to have to look this up now. But anyway, it was a, a group of guys that, oh, Hirata. It was a group of guys that dropped out. Like, Hirata wasn't a, a Torimon guy, but he was just, you know, he's friends with Awashi, so he was on the show. And it was like, Ultimo's like, I don't remember any of you guys, but if you did train with us, then, you know, you'll always be considered my,
0: you know, my, my kids or whatever it was he said.
2: But he did not remember Takanashi or Ken Oka at all.
0: I, I, I mean, I imagine that they immediately went to Wikipedia Japan and changed and make sure that Ultimo was in their bio just in case. Right afterwards. Yeah, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> Jay, we've got Kobe World coming up a we week do. from when we're talking. Uh, any predictions? How do we think this is gonna go? Menorah versus Ata, big Dreamgate matches, crazy uh, title scene. I got Isu returned, much to my dismay. What do
2: you think is gonna happen this weekend, this upcoming weekend? Uh, I, uh, what do you guys think? I mean you got, you guys are the prediction you guys are the prediction master, so what do you guys think? So you tell me and then I'll then I'll tell you and then I'll say what I think.
0: Alright. Um I I'm right now working on a big piece on the uh, Dreamgate. I'm still kind of formulating about how like they've kind of now made a problem in their own design because of how much Yamato overshadows everything, especially mm-hmm. with like the path of KZ and especially like I've noticed and with English speaking fans, how much they're drawn to KZ. And I find that really fascinating that it's like, OK, KZ can overcome all of his demons in one weekend. Shun could finally like in a way restart his title reign if he gets past these two or Yamato breaks the record. And I find that all kind of fascinating. And, and as of time of recording, I'm still kind of leaning towards Yamato winning this.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And yes, it was... By the way, it was Kenoka, Takanashi, and Hirata, and they were called the Drop Outlaws. <laughs> they're, they're, they wrestled they wrestle, uh, Dragon and uh, Shu and K. But anyway, okay. Um, you know, I think... Yamato versus Skywalker was the match I was expecting going into World. Initially, I thought, and I think maybe a lot of people did, that there wasn't going to be, you know, the second night wasn't going to be loaded up and it was just going to be a celebration for Yoshino. So, you know, going in, you know, the predictions with the expectations of there just being one championship match, I thought Shun versus Yamato was the, the logical pick for that. Um... And then when it was KZ, I was like, okay, you know, you know, KZ getting the win here, and it, you know, it finally being his moment, but not having the pressure of being the big draw for the weekend. That's cool, you know, I can I can go with that too. But then when Yamato made his challenge, that kind of threw everything for for a loop. But no matter the result that comes out, I think all of them are logical. Um, you know, Skywalker just you know running the table and winning, you know, that's strong champion, gets his t- gets his title reign back on track and continues into the post-Yoshino era as the young ace. That's perfectly fine. You've also got you know K-Z running the table. KZ beats Skywalker and then beats Yamato. You know, he get he finally wins you know wins the Dreamgate championship and beats Yamato and that puts him finally on Yamato's level. Then, but then there's the other option of he beats Skywalker and then loses to Yamato, and I think there's a lot of people that are worried that that's going to happen. Maybe worried is the wrong word. I mean, I don't know what kind of what kind of emotion that that thought evokes in you guys. Terror, fear. I'm also very worried about it.
1: Really, I, I
0: just I just would be disappointed to be honest. Yeah, at this it's, point. It, I
1: I think the the most exciting outcome to me is KZ running the table, but I think the—OK, the, the, the okay, so let me put it like this. I think the most exciting option is KZ going 2-0. I think the most realistic option is Skywalker beats KZ and Yamato beats Skywalker. I think the worst option is KZ beats
2: Skywalker and then Yamato beats KZ. OK. OK, so my thought on this is, if uh, assuming the KZ wins and then loses, I, I think it makes sense for his— it it fits his character arc in a way in that okay so he lucked his way in, into K.O.G. by winning the battle royal and then he kind of preyed on rookies to get there you know he beat he eliminated Skywalker you know to to win the battle royal he beats S.B. Kento in the first round um, you know as you know Kento goes for the same combination he used to beat him before K.Z. learned from it rolled him up, pinned him, and then he beats Min- Minora to get there. And then to win the championship, he beats Skywalker, which establishes his position as a guy that is still above that generation. Like, he's still a wall for those guys. You know, he can, he can beat them, but they can't necessarily beat him. But I'm... Where I fall... You know where I'm skeptical beyond that is I just don't see him on Yamato's level. and I'm not I, I'm not sure I can accept the idea of him beating Yamato on that stage this quickly. I don't really feel like it's earned yet. Something that I, maybe a lot of people um, at the end of last year, were expecting, you know, he was going on that that kind of losing streak at the end of the Dragon Gate Generation period. and there was maybe people kind of expecting either a heel turn or some sort of subtle character, maybe some sort of development from that. So when he went back to just being natural Vibes leader dancing KZ, I, it to me, I, I felt it was kind of a setback to his personal, his his personal development in the sense that it doesn't really look like he learned anything from his time in the Dragon Gate generation. So from that from that perspective the idea that he still can't beat Yamato makes perfect sense to me. In that okay, you know, he's he's finally gotten far enough to win the championship, but there's still that one thing missing that keeps him from reaching that echelon that puts him on the level with Yamato and Doi. And hulk to a certain extent but you know hulk because of his injuries has fallen off but you know yamato and doi are still still the standards with yoshino leaving and i'm not sure just beating yamato on that stage is enough to to bring KZ up on that up to that level so i i think him winning and losing the championship that quickly would be i don't maybe beneficial isn't the right word but i think it's something that could add to his overall character arc and his personal development going forward
1: i i will say that is one hell of a sell job for that that angle in a in a genuine way that certainly warms me up to the idea if that is the scenario i, I think cuz you know natural vibes during the first iteration was not Not for me, not a unit that I particularly love, but this time around with UT and and Funky Jackie Kamei and now Shimizu being added to the mix, I do think they are as cohesive of a unit as I've seen in quite some time, because it just seems like everyone knows the role, so I think I've gotten a little bit comfortable with KZ being in this spot and going like, oh yeah, that, that could be a guy, but... The idea of KZ just hypothetically going Hulk 2010 style and saying I can't dance anymore, I need to take things seriously. You're right; that would be a, a nice development that at some point I would like to see.
2: Yeah, you know the first, you know the first version of Natural Vibes is really, really hamstrung by having, you know, you know brother being part time, so brother's not around except for, you know, Corakin and the, the shows around you know Kyoto and Kobe. So he's, you know, he, the key thing being he's not touring. Punch also really, really wasn't touring. And, you know, him being, in you know, the times that he's around is kind of an active detriment to the unit in a lot of ways. And the other thing was Horiguchi going on to, like, the part-time rotation schedule in that year. There were a lot of times where Natural Vibes was only KZ and Susumu out of the five members. And it was really, it felt really like the unit didn't have a lot of decisive power to it. So that this version is considerably better but at the same time it feels like a retread. It was it blew my mind when it was announced that it was just
1: Natural Vibes 2.0, we're doing the same thing, the same colors. I I thought for sure it was going to be a swerve at some point and then it I didn't did happen. I I was initially disappointed by it, but like I said, you know, just between it's weird because The first seven months, like you said, there's been a lot of holding pattern stuff and it's just been a lot of like, okay, let's get to world and then we can move on. But between Masquerade and Natural Vibes and even to some extent with high end with Kagatora seeming to fit in the way he has, like, I think the units are really strong right now, despite the holding pattern that we've seen.
2: Yeah, I think maybe if they changed the dance like a little bit like some different choreography might have helped a little bit but the fact that it's the exact same dance and essentially the essentially the exact same entrance theme kind of makes it feel like a retread. But Yeah. Um I don't know. Well, I guess we'll I guess we'll see where it goes. Um you know, Skywalker I kind of feel bad for Skywalker like if his reign, if he just gets beat by KZ and that's the end of his reign because he's you, you mentioned this earlier and his reign has been totally snake bitten in, in the sense that, you know,
3: the,
2: ma- you know, the match with Aita had a flat finish. The match with Ben ended the way it did. The matches with Kaito and Kazuma, nobody saw it. And then the match, the match with hip ended the way it did. <laughs> it's been r- really rough. And, you know, I hope it hasn't affected him psychologically in in any way. So, yeah,
0: it, it's something that's, that when when case and i were recording earlier this week i just looked at like dreamgate reigns and it's like oh he's going to be in one of the top five reigns at least with keys collected if he gets past this weekend and you think about what kind of run he's had and you're just like oh boy Poor yeah. <laughs> I, I mean the the to be quite honest the past two years for shun oh man but it, it it's something where i think kz is kind of, like, he made such a big deal about being the new Tozawa, he was going to take Tozawa's place, that it does seem that, like, he's, other than, you know, starting Natural Vise, breaking from Tribe, and then getting wins and getting Dreamgate shots, if you look at, like, what KZ is now on the precipice of main event Kobe world and where he was when Tozawa left, it just, in in a way, like, I totally get what y'all are saying about how he needs to have some sort of new element new dimension there and at first it was like oh he's getting all these wins with sky to Schoolboy and elbow smashes okay it's giving me a title shot and then now it's just like he's kind of doing the same thing in a way like don't get me wrong i love the uh the triangle gate team with him and him and susumu and ginky it just it, it, i totally see where you're coming from and saying like it, it's not necessarily an earned win in a way or an elevating kind of push that you usually see out of the the run from King of Gate or really dead or alive, King of Gate, and then Kobe world
2: yeah, you know speaking from the from the uh, maybe maybe as an announcer, I shouldn't do this anymore, but speaking purely from the booking <laughs> perspective, I do think that there's a lot of value in giving the kZ fans that moment, and you know the catharsis of him finally winning. I think as uh, maybe him losing here may be the point where that starts to turn people off. If he loses here, you know, the people that are just waiting for KZ time, this might be the moment where they give up. And that would be a bad thing. So, yeah,
1: it, it kind of... I Jay, this probably not not your frame of reference, but it does have a Tyler Black and ROH kind of feel where... Yes. Yeah, there's, there's a moment there, and I, I don't know if this is the moment where... It would reach its apex, but it is certainly a moment where they could lose a lot of that support. And I, I don't know which. So, so would you say him losing to Skywalker is more damning than him losing to Yamato? Oh yeah, absolutely. I do, I do okay, think it is interesting
2: because at least if he wins, you get you get that moment of him. You get that the quote unquote WrestleMania moment. You know, you know. I know a lot of people. Maybe that's a, a bashing point for WWE at this point. You know how they always say that long-term storytelling doesn't matter. And it's just about the moment, you know, to get that, that WrestleMania pop or whatever it is. But I do think that there is merit to that approach every now and then. So I think the moment, you know, he, you can still, you can take the picture of him holding the championship you know, it's, it's, I, I do, I, I'm not, I, I think Skywalker's kind of run his course at this point and like he doesn't need to beat KZ. And I think it gives him something to fight back at. So when he eventually beats Kate, you know, when he, when, t- when time comes for him to win the championship again, that gives him a target. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. I, w- I would absolutely, that is a valid, uh, comp- the Tyler Black comparison, I think is very valid. Because the one that pops into my head when I think about this is, I think about B.B. Hulk, because B.B. Hulk lost, like, what, seven times or whatever it was before he finally won the championship. And it never really seemed to affect him. But the thing was, B.B. Hulk wasn't a guy that started his career as a comedy guy. Yeah. You know, it would, with Hulk, it always felt like a matter of time before he won the championship, and the time just needed to be right. Whereas KZ, it feels like with every loss, you know, with Hulk, it was like every time he lost, like it, it it didn't matter. It still felt like a step closer. Whereas every time KZ loses, it feels like, you know, the loss to Mochizuki was a step forward, the loss to Pac was a step forward. But every single one after that has started to feel like a step back. Where, where it feels like the Dream's slipping away. And this, this match could very well be the one where the Dream ends if he loses, and that's where his momentum stalls. But, you know, we'll see.
0: Looking at the rest of the weekend, we're just touching on things. What title matches kind of speak out to you? I mean, we look at uh, Okuda has Horiguchi, then Kakatora. We have the Twin Gate situation going on, and then we have the Triangle Gate with uh, first the the match that's been happening a lot this year, Masquerade versus Red. Then Agon just decided to show back up. Yeah,
2: with- I, I'm really looking forward to the second night, the Triangle Gate match on the second night. Uh, the first the first night, not so much. Cause I'm not that big. Int- I'm not a huge fan of that Red team. But the second night, I think that either way you go, it's a really interesting match. Um, I think there's there actually is something. There's always mileage in the idea of the 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 villains from the past that have calmed down and now they're restaurant owners and now and you know part timers and they're generally always in a good mood and they're happy to see each other. Getting tested by the the new new villain group, you know, getting pushed to their limits that and it forces them to you know, you, you're going to bring back the old me sort of thing. I always think that there's a good little, th- that sort of angle. There's always a lot of mileage in that. So the idea of maybe RED loses on night one, but then Masquerade loses the championships on the second night. And then that way that let you can split off Daya and Inferno to go do their thing. And then another version of the RED team comes in. Maybe you put Kyo in there or you put whoever into the Triangle Gate team and have them do a couple months with with brother and those guys on the way to them eventually winning the championships. I think that there's a, I I'm really interested in seeing that happen. I think that that could be pretty interesting. And I think the fans would be into that. And it also keeps, you know, keeps brother and Kondo around at least for another couple months out of well, Kondo's going to be around full time, but you know, it keeps, you know, those familiar faces from that time period around for another couple months during the transition period. How so, did Kondo come back as quickly as he did? Well, I mean, Russell One went out of business f- six months before it went out of business.
1: So. Yeah, yeah, but but his but Worst his injury from this year. Oh, uh, it was I, it,
2: it was only a partial tear, so it wasn't okay. Uh, okay, so... I was
1: uh, stunned. I was stunned for many reasons to see that scene at core could take place, but Kondo coming out really caught me off guard. I thought he would be
2: out for longer. It'll be about five months. He had the same injury that, uh, Rio Saito had at the end of 2009 and he was out about, about, about four months. So it was the same. It was the same partial tear. He's also like, he wasn't cleared when they set up that match. So they they were just kind of assuming he would be cleared in time for, (laughs) in,
0: in time for the match. And I think the thing about the Agon thing that's so fascinating is that there really was such a short period of time for Agon originally that them coming back, there's a level of freshness with them having yeah. titles as well. And then the idea of Kondo being around full time and if he's going to be playing heel, he's another person to kind of throw into the pile of who could end up being the next like turning point of the heel units. And I right. find that kind of fascinating as well.
2: Yeah. I, you know, the best thing that ever happened to them was, getting you, you, you know, them leaving at the end of that year was the best thing that ever happened to them because if they had stuck around and ran their course as a full group, you know, no one would remember them. They'd just be that other heel group in the, you know, in the mess of history, but it, it's made them this legendary group that every, and every time that, every time they show up, it feels like they shouldn't be showing up. Yeah. So it, it, it adds that extra level of danger and excitement.
0: It's something that, like, Kondo coming back last year, like, I, I felt like that it was one of those things that everyone kind of knew Russell won was on its last legs even before COVID, and then Kondo coming back and just, like, the opportunity of having Suchi Kondo back in this promotion 15 years later is just... the. And, and I mean, the sad thing about with how everything kind of ended and his injuries is there's so many things still left on the table, and the fact that it's a partial tear... And not like the full tear where where Case and I were like, what kind of condo are we going to be seeing after this? Like, it it is the uh, the output of Shuji Kondo now going to go in steep decline because of his age, his size, and that injury. But now he's coming back, and that's really really invigorating to me. And I'm really excited to see that. And then, hey, brother Yashi is a busy man. You know, the fact that he's able to make some time to show up for his classmates' retirement show, I I kind of appreciate it. And Awashi's there too.
2: Yeah, you know, brother. You know, brother. There was kind of that concern that brother was never gonna that brother was out. You know, when he uh, when his when the deal ended at the end of last year, and you know, he was doing the stuff that he was doing with Dove and the guys that they were feuding with. There was kind of the thought that like, okay, well, based on you know, based on the timing, this is kind of is this his answer to well, if Dragon Gate's not going to use me, I'm going to do this. So it's nice it's nice to see that uh, that ended up not being the case. You know, I don't, he's got two promotions that he's trying to get off the ground plus his day job. So he just can't, and you know, he's a guy that's hard to use because you can't really let him talk that much because of the compliance issues. <laughs> so, um, you know, that, 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 like his best, you know, his best things are his promos, but if you don't want him, if you can't let him talk, then there's really not that much you can do with him. So.
1: Jay, real quick, your thoughts on the the, the twin gate scene. Uh I, I like both of these matchups on paper quite a bit, or I guess any of the possibilities.
2: Yeah, I think the I think Kaito and Kazma have the best chance to run the table out of all the champions this weekend. Um I know you
1: mentioned at one point that people have caught on to uh, Cosma being a good talker. Now, is he he's generally accepted at this point of being like a a Dragon Gate guy? Oh, is is that correct? <laughs> uh,
2: if you, if you say it to me, gets mad. You know, oh, <laughs> <was> really? A... <laughs> well, not 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 mad, but like he 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 treasures his freelancer status. Let me just put it like that. There was a. There's the the Shake Shack near uh near Cork, and there was like kind of the tradition for a while, where everyone was going to Shake Shack to get a burger before the show. And uh, Kazma went and did his, and like the the Shake Shack account retweeted it and said Dragon Gate wrestler Kazma Sakamoto was here to eat, and Kazma really quickly replied with you well i'm technically i'm a freelancer but thank you for the, <laughs> thank you for the meal he's so good <laughs> here like he
1: fits it so well and it's a combination that i never would have thought worked but i love him as a singles i love him in trios and i love this ashita uh, team that we've seen
2: yeah it's a great it's it's a great tag team you know it's um something that's really going to benefit kaito you know having you know this Cas the type of guy, that If you work with him, you're going to get better just because of all the experience and the different, you know, the different styles and the different, the the different ways he's learned wrestling. I mean, he learned, you know, he studied under Taka, he studied under Ricky Steamboat, he studied under Regal, you know, he's studied under Muto, you know, he's got all these different philosophies and different approaches to wrestling that he can, you know, that's something that guys in Dragon Gate just don't get, you know, you don't. Those types of experiences are something that when you get a chance to work with somebody that has all that it's it's extremely valuable so you know this is something that's going to benefit this team is going to benefit kaito a lot
0: and it's something with kazma a lot like doi i like following kazma because he will just like he'll find a gif he likes and he'll retweet it with like the big eyes emoji i'm like all right kazma is someone that not only is he training these people he seems like someone that is constantly watching stuff and yeah you know the way he's adapted and the knee of death kind of becoming a little bit of a gift thing, at least in our portion of the internet Uh, starting this year. I'm just like, I I want to go back in time to people in 2018. Like, listen, it seems weird, but don't worry about Hiroshi Yamato. Hiroshi Yamato, (laughs) not going to be around much longer, but Kai and Kazma, give them time. You'll see that they were.
2: Yeah, I actually audibly fucking Kazma out loud. (laughs) A dangerous gate when he came out, <laughs> because everyone was <laughs>
0: expecting Pac.
2: Everyone thought, everyone <laughs> was like, "Oh yeah." Pac. Well, I was, everyone, no one was expecting Kazma Sakamoto. <laughs> is essentially <laughs> what it was. Like, and after all, hell, all know, after all the hell
1: you had been through in 2018, this promotion, like, oh, what's the next phase of this? And fucking Kazma. Yeah, <laughs> it
2: was fucking Kazma. But Kazma ended up being out of all of the guys that came in. You know, Pack. Was great, but he came and went. Daga came and went, and you know all of the different R R E D bombshells. Kazma's been the guy that has stuck around and had the, had the biggest impact. And he was the first guy, and he's could very well be the last. You know, the one that's still around at the end. You know, I, I don't know what Kai is going to do when things open back up. You know, Kai feels like he's really treading water at this point. I was, I I, I, I felt like after
1: the no, I I wrote this in my review, but I, for as much as I've enjoyed Kai, I wish the no ropes match was his send off because it really felt like the end of his story.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I actually thought it was going to be up until then they published the cards and he was up, he was in a match with Yamato the next night on a house show. It was kind of like, even, (laughs) even Yamato was like, well, you know, yesterday was supposedly the final blow off, but I'm wrestling Kai
0: again tonight on this, (laughs) on this. (laughs) Boy. On the show. Jay, I, I don't know if I've told you this before, but the WrestleMania twenty nineteen in New York City that uh, Kai appeared at basically, I guess, was hanging out with Muto that weekend. He was on a House of Glory show, which is just yeah, you know, I mean, when you, at that point, yeah, Master P now owns House of Glory, but it's House of Glory. And he was in a huh. scramble match and he came out in a tri-vanguard t-shirt and I started shouting out for Kai, and he gave me the this look of both disgust and disappointment. Like discuss uh, that, like someone recognized him here and disappointment being like, "Man, now I just have to do something because that one guy knows who I am,
2: uh, poor Kai' <laughs> he's he's, prob- <laughs> he's probably shit faced, but <laughs>
1: real, real Kai, quick, Jay, your thoughts yeah. no, go, um, ahead, go ahead, go ahead, good no, I was gonna ask for your thoughts on the
2: Bravegate scene, but i would I would
1: actually really like to hear your extended thoughts on Kai if you have any more
2: <laughs> um no, I you know, he was when he first came in, I re- didn't really enjoy him all that much. Um, then I came around on him, but now like, I don't know, the heel character, like the, the heel character feels kind of limiting in a way because he's so, it was nice to have him on the babyface side because it was, he was someone that could go up against the bruisers in R.E.D. But now like. In R.E.D., he feels like he's too strong because everybody, you know, everybody in Masquerade is small. Everybody in High End is small, except for, you know, except for Benkei. So it, it kind of feels almost unfair <laughs> to have him in R.E.D. <laughs> um, as far as the
1: Brave Gate go... I think that's a fair assessment, but please, your, uh, your Brave Gate thoughts.
2: I don't know. I don't like Akuta, so Ooh. I'm just waiting for that rain to end. But um i don't know horaguchi is fine you know foraguchi wins that's cool you know um if if okuda wins the first night and then goes to kagetoro kage you know we just saw that match so it's not all that exciting um i don't know It just like i'm kind of just hoping to get the okuda reign over with and then let's get maybe get it onto horaguchi and then switch it over to Whoever in the back half of the year,
0: it kind of feels like that Okuda's like big moment was finally taking care of Ishida, getting the title belt, and then since then, he's had some matches that I've enjoyed, and he's had some strong matches. But it seems like that, in a way, whatever like that kind of fire that that started has really kind of dissipated. Like you still see. Like, whenever him and Ishida are in match together, they go at it. It's the nice callback there. But at a point with Okuda, and especially with, like, the fact that his style is so divergent from a lot of the roster and seeing how it's played out now, it's something where I expected a lot more different from this reign, maybe is the best way to put it. And it just kind of seems like that, other than, like, he he brought out Gacked. Like, that is the thing I'm taking away from this title after defeating Ishida.
2: Yeah, Gax wanted to do a match. um I don't know. Of what, course he
0: did. Of course
2: he did. <laughs> I don't know what happened on that. But then, like right after that, like he was in like an animal, like like he his friend's dog passed away, like you know, longtime family pet passed away. So he gave his own dog to his friend like, just gave it away, and this turned into, like, a huge, huge thing on Twitter about, you know, you can't, like, pets, you know, pets are your family. You can't just give them away like that. Why didn't you take your friend to adopt a new one or something like that? So it turned into, like, this huge animal rights thing, so obviously you never want with dragon gate you never want that type (laughs) of negative publicity coming in and then there was also there was something else gosh i don't there was a second thing recently that i don't remember any of the details on but like he's had two scandals since since he made that appearance so maybe it's maybe it's not going to
0: happen now it just was something that was so bizarre like because I was explaining it to friends who did not follow Dragon Gate that knew who Gakt was. And I was like, why is Gack there? And then, and then having explained to Case, Gakt is actually a big star and is like someone that like, was, even, a like star. was a big star. But man, like, I mean, like I had friends who were over in Japan pre-COVID. It's like, oh yeah, Gakt was on the morning TV show because that's what Gack does now. And it's just like, this is like a name that, especially with like the Dragon Gate fan base natively, that would be a, a lot more aware of than say, if somehow... Tomohiro Ishii made his his return into the Dragon System.
2: Yeah, I think the the maybe the point of comparison not not on this level but it'd be kind of like a Kanye West thing where you know it was like huge star huge genius but now he's seen as kind of like this eccentric idiot.
1: Very very it. very timely with his non-album release from uh, the day we're recording
2: this. It didn't come out, right? Yeah, like he's <laughs> no. he's the only dude like where you just Promise that you say the album is going to be out at midnight, and the album just never doesn't come out at midnight. This is what the third or fourth in a row. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kanye has some like luchador in him,
1: where it's just uh, it's (laughs) amazing he gets away with what he does. It's his he's working on a different business plane than the rest of us. It's really not out, is it? It's not out. No. Don't, no. Don't. It, I think they I think they live streamed it last night, so yeah, you can I probably f- Yeah, you can probably find it I somewhere d- archived. I did
2: I did see that because someone said that there was a there was a, a line about the Bucks winning the champion winning the NBA championship. So that clearly means that they were still recording the album yesterday. <laughs>
0: I, I mean in case you say he he's like working on some Luchador energy. Did you see like I, I think it was at a UFC that he came out in like a full like puffy coat suit, including a puffy coat mask, like full face balaclava. Like he is really operating on a different frequency than the rest of the world.
1: I thought you were gonna ask me about the UWA thing where Mil mascaris is complaining that he got buried in UWA or something. Did you see that earlier this week, Mike?
3: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah it, it, <laughs> i'm so I, glad
1: I, I covered dragon and not lucha it seems exhausting to cover lucha
0: uh i mean and, and then there's something about the uw him wanting to revive uwa i was like all right that, go have that's fun what it trying was find, yeah, yeah yeah go find those trio styles mill I, I i'm certain i think they're currently gunbari pro right now so go have fun with that mill
1: uh, Jay, I feel like we've kept you long enough. We've touched on Yoshino. We've touched on Shingo. We've touched on everything in between. Uh, is there anything else uh, either, you know, plugged or just anything else you want to say before we let you
2: go? Uh, I don't know. Okay, well, let me, let me plug first. Um, I, I don't really think you need to plug to the people that are actually listening to this. Like, you know, so Kobe, Kobe Pro Wrestling Festival is this weekend, July 31st, uh, 4 p.m. Japanese time start and then Star final is the next day august 1st uh 3 p.m start um if you're gonna if you've never signed up for the, if you're not currently signed up for the dragon gate network um this is poor business on my part but i'm going to say i would recommend waiting until august 1st to sign up because like all the japanese streaming services you get charged on the first of the month regardless of when you signed up the previous month so if you sign up on the 31st um you'll get charged again the next day and i think that that's kind of bad and I think that that might be something that turns people off on the streaming service so what I would say if you're not currently signed up I would say wait till August 1st and then sign up we will be live both nights English commentary myself and Hoho Loon Hoho is actually going to be on the whole show at the commentary booth on the first night because he doesn't
0: have a match which is a bummer because my I, favorite I thing... love,
2: love the run back to the table sorry but it's uh, our favorite thing <laughs> there, there's a battle royal on the second night so there might still be a chance for that <laughs> Um, so we'll see. We don't have a card for the second night yet. But anyway, first night, there's uh, going to be eight championship matches over the week, over uh, both shows. Um, all four championships will be defended on both nights. And Masato Yoshino is retiring the second night. Uh, August, the August live stream schedule is up. There's going to be, what, seven seven shows. There's Osaka, Korak- Korakuen, uh, Doubleheader in Across Fukuoka, Kobe Sambo Hall, uh, KBS Hall, and then Nurky Doy's Homecoming show. So there's going to be a lot coming up. We'll be in English. We're in English uh, on all our big shows, everything in Cork and Hall. So that's what? 13 Cork and Hall shows a year, five big shows, and then plus anything else that we can fit in. Um, I don't think we're going to be doing tapings for English commentary in, anymore, at least through, through the end of this year. So that's the other, the other thing I did want to bring up is kind of like... Uh, Maybe people that are lapsed and are just kind of listening to this for the Yoshino content are just listening to it to kill time and they haven't really kept up on Dragon Gate this year. Um, you know, you guys probably know this as well as anybody, you know, Dragon Gate really suffers buzz-wise in the first half of the year, every year, right? A lot of that is from, in previous years, a lot of that was because, you know, they don't run during Wrestle Kingdom week, And Wrestle Kingdom Week tends to overpower the discourse for the first couple months of the year. But, um, you know, this year has kind of been even worse. Uh, You know, there was quite a bit of buzz going around the end of last year, I think, around starting from Dangerous Gate up through Gate of Destiny and then world, I think there were we were getting some pretty good, you know, pretty good buzz. Even people like, you know, even Dave was talking about Dragon Gate pretty frequently, even though it was, you know, like in the context of turning it into a developmental for AEW. But you know, it was still being talked about pretty regularly. But um we got snake bit really hard by Final Gate, first, you know, the English commentary stream you know their like the the box they used to split the streams broke so they were weren't able to split the stream and then we we re, when we recorded it they didn't bring the recording device so we had to record into an iPhone and then that got corrupted so you know by the time we were able to get the english stream up it was like 4 weeks later and the main event ended the way it did so you know even though the you know the the Torimon versus RED match was one of the best matches in history most of the thing the, the thing that most people remember is the finish to Benke versus Skywalker. You know, that was the thing that overpowered all the talk, and that's something that's going to destroy any sort of positive, any attempts at positive discussion is going to be met with the, well, let's just make sure they have concussion protocols in in place or, you know, whatever, you, you know, whatever stupid thing people say. And that was followed up with, you know, curfew, empty, you know, 400 fan and Hall shows, and the fact that the schedule just doesn't have a big show until Dead or Alive. And, uh, you know, then Dead or Alive didn't hit. And, you know, when you don't have a big show for six months, and then your first big show doesn't hit, that, you know, that really hurts, you know, in terms of keeping the momentum of the promotion going, because it's only really the dedicated people that are going to be watching the incidental shows, the day-to-day shows, it's... Having a big show is what gets new people subscribing and having them, you know. So Dead or Alive hits people subscribe to watch that and they stick around and they, they watch King of Gate. But people hear King of you know people hear Dead or Alive's not that wasn't that great. They didn't they skip signing up they missed King of Gate, all that. This is going to be, you know, this is finally going to be the chance for the company for us at the English broadcast table and I think in general for us to get the momentum going towards the end of the year because we've got these two shows we've got all the live shows in August. So if you've signed up to watch yoshino's last show you're going to have access to all of those and then in september we've got danger you know dangerous gate is coming up and then you know the big show rush through the end of the year with gate of destiny and then final gate again so if you're someone that's just listening to this and you're kind of flat on getting back into dragon gate because you haven't heard much talk about it this year this is going to be the time to get back in because these shows are not going to miss and uh, myself and Ho-Ho, we will do our best to not be terrible at the English commentary table.
1: Well put. Uh, that's uh, You and Ho-Ho do not need to worry. You guys <laughs> entertain me every single time. Uh, Ho-Ho in particular, whether he means to or not, but that man does make me laugh. And and yeah, I mean, look, Mike and I echo your same thoughts. This is the time to sign up for the network. This is the time to get on board. com. the week leading up to Kobe World. It will be Dragon Gate Week on voiceofwrestling.com. There's obviously going to be other stuff that's published, but we'll have content Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Again, I highly encourage people to read my Masaudi Yoshino career retrospective when it comes out. That'll be on July 26th. And, of course, full preview, written reviews by me and Mike. I'm going to review the July 31st show. Mike will review the August 1st show. We'll have audio coverage here. Jay is on Twitter. Let me see if I can remember Jay's... uh. Twitter handles real quick uh, at dg underscore j for his personal one and at dragongate en for the company's official Dragon Gate English page. Jay, unless you have anything else, thank you for joining us on the Open the Voice Gate podcast.
2: I don't think I do, so thanks. Thank you so much for having
1: me. Thank you. All
0: right, that'll do it for this episode. We'll be back on Tuesday with our full breakdown and preview of Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival 2021 and Speed Star Final. Take care.